Before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that the audio quality on the first eight episodes is a little bit lower. Uh, episode nine was Scott Stripling. We got mics and started improving our audio quality from there. Feel free to skip around. All right. We are live. Quiet on the set. Quiet. Just kidding. Yeah, we're closed anyway. There's no one on set. Oh, hello, everyone. I'm Christian Delaglacia of First Surf Shop, Division Winwood. I'm doing this backwards because normally Bradley does this. Are you? Doing? I don't know how we do it. Uh, I'm Brad from Thank You Surfing, and we've got a special guest here today. Terry TQ Quinlan. Thank you. You're welcome. It's nice uh, to be here. <laughs> February 23rd. This is episode number seven, which seven. means that we've done this seven weeks in a row. Seven weeks in a row. You believe that? You got tired of me yet? Not quite yet. But I did, I did have that one reprieve while you were sick. Uh, I think we right. might need to like schedule those in for right, our own every mental three. health. Yes, <laughs> absolutely, because I'm a lot. And as a matter of fact, it got a lot of views. Turns out people want to hear what a nuke has to say. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you coming out for my job? I think she might be better at it than you. Probably. <laughs> it's not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, you know, having that you know different kind of person and energy in here. Yeah, no, it was it was it was cool. And um, I think it was Santi uh, last week. How'd that go in comparison? I think just having just well, that was uh, having me and you and Santi. But then with the nuke was a little bit different. Right. But I think just like having the different perspective, having like uh, just people mix it up is, is is pretty cool. TQ, have you ever done this before? Not at all. All right. I, think I should do a demographic study and see who's the who's the heavyweight, and who's the lightweight. I, I have done the demographic study, and I can tell you where all of our audience lies. I'm not surprised. And um, we're pretty much all over the map, just like the lineup pretty much is. Yeah, but just like me usually. All over the place, <laughs> for sure. Well, luckily we do have an agenda to keep us on track. Thank you for being that agenda. I am uh, quite organized. So local happenings. Uh, we've got some things going on this week uh, and this weekend. Yes, tomorrow being Saturday. Tomorrow, Saturday, yes. But then there's Sunday that follows it, of which there is a paddle out for the um, <clears throat> memorial for the kids that passed away and were killed uh, at the Douglas Memorial, at the Douglas High School, sorry. Yes. Totally butchered that, my apologies. But uh, if you want some more information, it's on Sunday. It starts around 12-ish. Uh, in Deerfield, check out Island Water Sports' Instagram and get a lot more information on there for that. Yeah, so I thought it was pretty interesting that they're doing a paddle out. I think that there's a, um, you know, like as a surfer, um, you know what that is. But as like a member of the community, I don't think you necessarily understand what, you, what even happens yeah. at a paddle out and, and why it can be so helpful to help people kind of grieve and heal and I mean, as surfers, we're very lucky to know that going in the ocean helps, and we don't understand why necessarily, but you know when you get out of the water, you're a lot happier than when you were in the water. Right, some Um, sort of natural connection in the ocean, and wherever somebody goes after they've passed, it's maybe that connection that that you can speak to them, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a very special thing to to do a paddle out, and I know, um, you know, here when we did the paddle out um, for, for Tony, and it was it was impressive. It, it was, was, it was I, a very moving experience. I, I, I found that after that, almost the whole surf community that was here, those who have been here for a long time and those that are kind of transplants and those that have maybe just got into surfing and might have been here or lived here their whole lives, it was, 
everyone got to see how big the surf community really is because Miami's not really known for surf. We're not like a huge surf town, and we haven't been right for since forever. And most people come here, and what do they say? Oh, waves in Miami, really? Yeah. Um, and it's true, and we really have a lot of people, and they're really dedicated, and they're really hungry, and they really love the sport, and love everything that, it, that involves with it, from community to everything else. And it was impressive. We had like 300 people in the water, another 200 on the shore. Wow, yeah, the it was, it, yeah, it was pretty crazy. So, um, and you don't have to be surfing all the time, you know, to, to feel that love yeah. and that energy and whatnot. I think that's what people, felt by being there, that energy that we all yeah. share um, for the love totally. of a person that we're celebrating. But that speaks volumes for who he was to have that many right. people around. Absolutely. Yeah, it, was, it was a huge outpouring of you know, love and respect for who that guy was, and right. I guess it just came out. <laughs> right. And it's amazing to see these, just the, the, the collection of people that are getting together because of that horrible tragedy and where they want to see a better life and a better tomorrow come from. Um, and so, hope you know it's such a sad thing that we're having to <clears throat> memorialize and celebrate these kids' lives yeah. before this happened. But um, it's happening on Sunday, uh, Deerfield starts around 12 ish. Yeah. Check out Island Water Sports' Instagram if you ever get some more information on that. And uh, you know, as, as sad as everyone, it is, everyone come together right. and it'll be a big community event, right. and, and I'm sure a lot of people will understand surfing a little bit more, will understand themselves a little bit more, and maybe we'll start to heal a little bit from what they've gone through. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's just crazy. terrific tragedy. It's crazy. Um, I, 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 apparently I didn't change that. Please hold. <laughs> and we're, we're still, and we're back. Sorry about that, a little brief break. <laughs> Caroline, I'll call you. <laughs> she can read those. Uh, moving on past that, um, not much going on here for activities here at the shop, both at first as well as division. Um, kind of mellow, it's but busy. So, but it's been busy. I think that's that's a good thing. Right? I think so. I think you, you are in retail, I, I right? Like so you want? Uh, no, it's been pretty steady. That. We've had the boat show that was just here, and uh, from that we have the food and wine festival that's in town. So yeah, some good things. Very going busy on there. with that. Um, we're in the middle of season here at Miami Beach, so we're coming right through that yeah it's exciting um pass out but thank you surfing anything going on yeah we well we prototyped these mugs so these are kind of the uh, cool yeah. you guys let us know what you think about these things and uh, also we're putting together a email newsletter because as terry mentioned to us earlier not everybody is on social media some people prefer to get things via email are you not on social media? No, no Instagram. Sorry, You're not Snapchat. He is now. He is Snapchat. You, you are currently on Instagram and on Facebook. Dinosaur, buddy. <laughs> but, uh, Part of me wants to get off. But, you know. So we got that at the bottom of uh, thankyousurfing.com. You can sign up for email newsletter. I think we're probably going to launch that maybe like the next month or so. Okay. But in the meantime, um, it'll be a way that I could you know, get in contact with you guys. Send We've out. had waves this past week. Oof. Little wind chop, yeah, so depending on the tide, it's yeah. kind of fun. Yeah, and it's been really fun. And uh, a couple man wars out there. It's the time of year. That's that time of year. Um, look, as of today, it looked like the wind was kind of laying down a little bit. Yes, what this is like uh, good news, bad news, or bad news, good news. I guess bad news first. Yeah. Um, so the bad news is <laughs> that this run of trade swell that we've had is coming to an end for, for down here. Uh, the good news is 
that that indicates that the high pressure system that we had that was fueling all this is starting to move out to the east-southeast and dissipate, which should allow for more storms to come south, uh, which will bring them into our swell window. So looking like we could start to see cold fronts coming back through, the first one maybe the middle of next week, bringing in some So that wonderful windswell. winter weather that we thought we missed, we still have a chance. Got a small chance. Small chance at um, more of a... Drier? I'm, I'm looking at this more from a surf perspective. Oh, got it. I like um, so I'm saying that we've got more chance for waves and it's going to be more winter-like pattern. How far those cold fronts make it, I don't really care. Right. <laughs> Frankly, Just send me waves. <laughs> Frankly, if it's 85 degrees and pumping more swell, I'm pretty happy. That's why it came down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, you know, after uh, the middle of next week, where we should see the pattern start to shift and get some northeast wind swell or something, uh, maybe 10 to 14 days out, we're looking at a bunch of lows potentially moving off the coast uh, in the mid Atlantic, which is right in our window. So, um, it's, crossing our fingers? Yeah, definitely crossing our fingers. It's a good change. If you want to cheer for winter, this is your chance. <laughs> last, gonna, last shot? Yeah, I mean, we've had uh, good cold front swells here as late as like middle of May. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not out of the realm of possibility to get them that late, but typically we're kind of ending our season March coming March, to April. Right. right. Um, so, so Terry, back into winter for a little sure. bit. Gotta ask you a question because it kind of like, I heard you say March, like, you know, yes, this is something you followed years over years and years. When did you start surfing? Well, what year and where, how old were you? Well, I was probably around 12. I'm gonna say 1961. Okay. Somewhere in that range. Uh, I was introduced to it by a longtime friend of mine that still surfs actively. And uh, I didn't even have a board. And uh, I actually bought my first surfboard in Dudley Whitman's front yard from his daughter, Renee, who I was infatuated with. <laughs> she was 16 years old. Maybe we should give a little bit of background on the Whitmans, just so some people have some well, that context. Was, that, that was my first, my first encounter with Dudley, because Dudley actually came out to supervise the sale. <laughs> and, and the Whitmans are? Well, Dudley Whitman is, uh, and his brother Bill brought surfing to Florida and to the East Coast. They were friends of Tom Blake and other legendary surfers. And uh, they had gone to, to the islands from way back in the days of the World War II. They were actually, Dudley was a, was a pilot. He was flying cargo planes back and forth during the war. Crazy. And uh, that's how they got introduced to Hawaii. And they actually met the Duke. And there's all kinds of stories that are attached to how they were accepted because it was Bill's surfboards that he was building handcrafted wood, wood surfboards like this table. Uh -huh. But they didn't use nails. Bill was using dowels, uh -huh. to, yeah, those wood to, dowels. Put, to put the boards together and they were hollow. So they were much lighter than the Hawaiian boards. And that was the intro to, to get them sort of bonded to the, to the Hawaiian guys wow. who were surfing. And they knew Tom Blake from California and they just brought surfing to the East Coast. And in particular, Florida, because they came, they came here and they actually lived in the early days. They were somewhere around the 30, 30s block mm -hmm. on one of the side roads. Uh -huh. And uh, my, as I said, my, my first encounter with Dudley 
was in that front yard buying Renee's board. I would have bought anything from her that day because she was really, <laughs> really so cute. But and, uh, and I mean, does Renee know that? Did she Renee know knows that? that. Okay. Renee and I are still Just friends. Just in case you're watching, Renee and I are yeah. still friends. Uh, <laughs> I've actually, I've actually run into her at a couple of functions. One was the uh, the huge surf archives that they did up in Boca a few years ago. Mm -hmm. oh, cool. Her and her family were, were all there, and Renee and I talked about the board and. Get you know, all of our our old history and so forth and so on. So that was how I met Dudley, and so that was your first board. That was my first surfboard. Was Renee Renee Whitman's board? Referring back to kind of where I started the conversation in regards to hearing Brad say about you know weather patterns coming into March, okay. and you saying yes. It, you know, is it crazy? Is it amazing to you how where technology has come to be able to forecast and understand that, and then how much of it is just like in your elbow? Like you just know, you just over years and years and years, you're just like, okay, we're expecting well, this. Well, I actually think in the old days, it was easier to, to, to tell when there was actually gonna be a true north swell, a ground swell, not so much a refraction swell. Why is that? <clears throat> I, well, I just sort of went over this with Brad a little earlier that I had my, my own sort of theories of why there was more waves back then that were real waves. And one is that there's more inlets that go out into the ocean, and, and as the tide pulls out, all that water is rushing through all these inlets, and mm -hmm. as the swells keep coming south, they get degraded coming through the inlets, and along, along, with, right. along with the islands right. that are out front, as we right. all know. And then the, the dredging that they did in the early 70s, the beginning of the dredging, where they pump all this, it wasn't even sand, it was like limestone almost, I mean, off the bottom of the right. ocean, 20 miles out, and they, hit, they threw these huge pipes all the way to the beach, and they pumped all this stuff in that covered up all the natural reefs that were all right offshore here. And in my eyes, they, they ruined a lot of the, the breaks along with the reefs that right. you had all this tropical fish floating around, so forth and so on. But they also changed the bottom of the ocean where they were dredging. And so that factored into how the waves came right. in compared Reducing to what the they used to do. Just changed yeah, the changed, changed everything. Yeah. So spots like 21st Street that was the premier spot in Miami at that time, very similar to Reef Road, mm -hmm. the way that it broke, um, is totally gone compared to what it used to be. I, I, I've heard stories that it's back a little bit, but whenever I've looked at it, it never looks like those days. Right. But in, in, in March, there was always still north swells. And in the dead of winter, we used to get probably two real north swells a week. Right. That was sort of the pattern. In, in you the got, 60s. You guys hear that? In the 60s. Two north swells a week. A week. That would make this like a real surf spot. Well, I mean, it was limited. It was only for a few months. You know, I, I'll you, take it. <laughs> Are you offering? Because I will take it, Dan. But it's sign my name right here. There's guys that I grew up with that would actually say that that's the truth. That's the way it used to be. Richard Carmel would be one right. of them that would, would verify that. We've talked about that many times. That, that the, the north swells were more frequent and they were real ground swells. They weren't the refractions. Right. Yeah, I've, they, I've heard this. And, and it's a big difference in just the way the waves look when they would come in. What are your thoughts on the, the inlet theory in regards to sucking away some of the energy of a lot of the swell coming down? Oh yeah, I mean, it has to happen. Right. There, I mean, it's interesting. Physics. Right. So you, I mean, you can't be wrong about that idea. I have never even considered it. I never, I mean, those inlets, as far as I've been around, right. have always, always been existed. there. Right. Um, so it wasn't a consideration. Now, I will tell you that I use inlets 
you know, to my advantage, and I'll say that certain spots pull in more swell because you're closer to the inlet because there's deeper water offshore because of dredging. Um, and, you know, also the fact of like getting out of the wind and stuff, you can right. go to the north side or the south side, depending on. But as far as it, you know, weakening a ground swell as it heads south, especially on an outgoing tide like you were describing, I mean, if you look at my report every day, you can see, depending on what the tide is doing, you know, the uh, government cut. And on the outgoing tide, there's definitely a discoloration right. between the ocean water and what's coming out of the cut. And that is enough flow for sure to change the way a wave is coming at the shore. And so you multiply that by how many inlets there are moving north. And um, yeah, they would be hard to ignore that factor. Yeah, I mean, what I'm talking about is real ground swells, not the, sure. trade, not the trade wind refraction yeah, no, swells yeah, like yeah. you would get now, like right. where Hallover Jetty yeah, would, would yeah. actually, if it was, the wind was right. out of the southeast and it's right. pulling 15 right. or 20 or even more southerly, that that wave is actually gonna be better. Correct, it works both ways. Right. But, but an actual true groundswell, yeah. totally different animal. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Um, so, I've never considered it. So that's my theory. I, I, it's a pretty good theory to me. So. Um, all right, well, I've got a bunch of like little experiments that I need to test. <laughs> <laughs> just, you just threw that brain into like, okay. whoa. Well, I'm doing like, it's like wormhole, you know, I don't even know if you know finish this. Works out. It's like, oh, it's, it's a lifelong story. Right I'll let you know when I die. <laughs> So oh, where did you first started surfing then? Like what beach was I, it? I, uh, I started surfing with, with a longtime friend of mine, A.J. Roberts, and uh, we grew up in Surfside, and I started surfing right there at 96th Street. And as I was telling Brad earlier, I didn't even have, the first year I didn't even have a board, so we were just dragging his 35-pound surfboard house, which he actually bought from the shop that was right over here, right wow. across the street. We're right here in South Beach in Miami, back just in the day. so you guys know. And, uh, we used to carry it right there to 96th Street, and then we started surfing right there. And the guy that ran the pool deck for the Nichols apartment apartment building, which was right there on the corner of yep, 94th and Collins, a buddy of mine took a shine to my mom and gave me a job as a as a uh, pool boy to throw out pads, which to me was the greatest thing in the world because I was right I there on the beach. I loved it. I had a place to keep Renee's board when I finally bought it, and you know life was good. Okay, and that's where we that's where we started surfing. Were there a lot of surfers up in that there area back few. then? There was a few. Actually, the guys that surfed there that we knew were were the two kids that played in the uh, TV series Flipper. Really? Oh, yeah. I remember that show. Yeah, those two guys. Get uh, out. Yeah, that was filmed down here. They were surfers, and there was a couple of other kids that they were friendly with. That they were all from Bell Harbor, and they used to surf there. So there was like five or six of us surfing. Right I mean, there. at this point... Was there Bell Harbor shops yet? No. Okay, no, so, there was the actually so the Whitmans, where were the Whitmans at? And for those mm -hmm. that may not know, the Whitmans had started the Bell Harbor shops, kind of old school Miami Beach family uh, that, and again, brought surfing to the East Coast. Well, and, I'll give you just a little bit of history with the Whitmans in the shopping mall. Originally, there was a Sinclair gas station on the corner of 96 and, and Harding Avenue, right? right. Where it bends in from Collins, mm -hmm. you know, where, where it begins. And uh, they couldn't get enough financing from the banks back in those days to build the shops. Nobody believed Nobody believed in the philosophy that Stan Whitman came up with. Which was like a mall? Well, a high-end mall. Yeah. Oh. To, to, to bring in like really, you know, call brand stores, like really big name stuff that, you know, now is like, like cheesecake down here. It's right. Cardi the Cardi originator of the mall, Morris Lapidus, built uh, Fountain Blue. Yes, he did. Or designed right. Fountain Blue. Right, right. Morris Lapidus. Mark. And, uh, a lot of malls going on out of Miami. So, 
they, they put up their own money along with one other business partner, which I don't know who that was, and the rest is sort of history. Okay. And I mean, was there a demand for high end? I mean, was I mean I know well, that this, I mean, so this is years. what like the forties, fifties at this point. No, the vault was finished in nineteen sixty six. Okay, so I mean, I'm guessing that I mean the Brat Pack was here. There's a lot of like Miami Beach at that time seemed like it yeah. was very just was it a little bit more high end um, as far as who was, was coming here and spending money. There, there was there was a different crowd, and, and and actually that's what got me here was because my mother was a singer. And she got a club date to go uh, play in the Fountain Blue back in the heyday when Sinatra and Sammy Davis and Jackie Gleason and all these other major stars were, were, you know, in and out of the doors there. And she was so enamored with this whole sort of lifestyle that when my parents split up, that was it. We moved, and that's how we wound up on, on Miami Beach. And yeah. so, yeah, there was there was a different different kind of crowd. Then yeah. it was a very wealthy, high end. It right. was very seasonal. Right. After April, you could roll a bowling down, bowling ball down Collins Avenue and not hit anything. You know? Wow! Until uh, December? Uh, no, it would last till March or so. Wow! You know, April, maybe you know. No, but from April until when would it start to pick back up again? Oh, it was basically the season was from like November, like okay. after th after Thanksgiving, right. you know, till right. mid, let's say mid-April for the most wow. part. Right. And people would a lot of people would check in for for three or four months. They wouldn't leave. They wouldn't come here for ten days or two weeks. Right. They would literally stay at for places like the Nichols, right. Nichols right. Apartments right. or the Seabrook Hotel, which right. was another small bungalow that was in Surfside that I was familiar with. So like Airbnb before Airbnb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it definitely had it figured out. It seems like a pretty good plan. Yeah, it was all short short term leasing. Right? So uh, that Lenten. that that was how I started surfing, and then. Uh, my friend AJ and I, we, we used to go to Challenger Surf Shop every afternoon after school. And we All right, so put where is Challenger? Challenger what is Surf, that? <laughs> Challenger Surf Shop was owned by Dudley Whitman. Okay. Um, but he also had a marina there as well, but he was very good friends with Hobie Alter. He was personal friends with Hobie. Uh -huh. And he carried all exclusively Hobie surfboards. And Challenger was on 135th and Biscayne Boulevard, 135th right, right and on Biscayne, the corner. Which wow. Challenger Marina is still technically there. still there, still but there. it's now called, what is it, J-Mac? What's uh, the one on the Marina on 13th? Keystone. Keystone <coughs> Marina. That could be it. Yeah, know. well, it's TNT. Keystone and TNT. And uh, okay. so Jay and I used to go in there every day after school if we weren't surfing or skipping school. And <laughs> we would drool over the boards and put our fingerprints over everything. And Dudley used to walk in and out and he'd see us there every day. And... At some point, um, he just offered me the job to run the run the run the surf shop. Get out! So, I mean, so wait, did you hang out in a surf shop long well, enough? Do you just wind up? Well, running? I mean, it's sort of. I mean, I or you just my, my introduction. <laughs> my introduction to it was a because I bought the board in his front yard from Renee, and and there was other guys that worked in the store, and we were just kids. So you know, we, you know, we were just kids being kids, and we were so consumed with surfing and so passionate about it. And, and it was so close to where we were uh -huh. that we used to just go in there every afternoon and, and kind of hang for 20 minutes and, you know, try to figure out a way to buy a board, you know, with no money. And, and <laughs> Were surf shops busy back then? Um, I mean, well, I know it like, seemed like maybe well, the model was different. Like the, now you come in here and it's mostly clothing and we got some well, surfboards. Well, the, the interesting and, thing is, is that it kind of went from when Dudley first opened the, opened the store, uh, there was two guys in front of me that ran it ahead of me so he actually had guys in there that were running the surf shop probably my best guesstimate would be from the 50s there was a guy by the name of john rang way john rang. That shop opened in the 50s i'm going to say in the 50s 
And John Rank was a, wound up going to Vietnam as a helicopter pilot, and he's still friendly. He's still still friendly with Dudley till the day Dud died. Mm. And another guy by the name of David Exley, who ran the shop previous to when I was there. And so, when I came in, surfing had just started to really explode. In other words, it was just coming up. But to answer your question directly, surf shops were very very competitive. Bird Surf Shop originally was down the street from me in the old wax museum. The building is still there. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It um, sort of looks like a little Boulevard? castle. It looks like a little castle. They, actually, they may have taken it down by right. now, come to think of it. Huh. But Bird sold it to the Mann Brothers, that, that location, Paul and Mike Mann. And then Mike Mann, of course, moved to Sunny Isles. And eventually now he's up in Melbourne right. with the Longboard House, Mike Mann. Can't out. Really? Yeah. That's wow. right. But, Blowing my mind. Wait, but, so the Longboard House originated out of buying Bird Surf Shop? Well, in other words, his brother, Paul, was the one that ran oh, right. that particular store, and Mike was in Sunny Isles at the time. And then Bird moved to Sunny Isles. That was the first right. major move that he made. But Paul Mann and I were, were bitter. I would say, putting it politely, competitors yeah. on how we sold surfboards. Scott Payne, um, Island Water there, Sports. There wasn't, there, was, there, was, no, there, there wasn't any of this, you know, sort of good Come vibe. Come on, I know. Why are we so nice to each other? Good vibes. Uh, in fact, uh, one story that I could give Mitch you. Mitch from Fritz's, I'm coming after you. The, <laughs> Rollerblades, the, you know, one I'm story sell. I could give you Grudge is, match. is uh, I, when I brought back the first twin fins from California from Hobie Surfboards, Paul Mann had actually paid for me to go to California to get rid of me. No way. I swear, he paid my airfare to go to California under the condition that I wasn't coming come back. Because like, what are you, probably baiting you with like a golden carry, like, you're going to be in California. Yeah. So you I should went, like this. But my intention was I was going to stay with Hobie Surfboards out there. And, and Jim Galoon, who ran the factory, had already given me a job in the factory, which is a bunch of stories attached to that. But um, I couldn't take the cold. So by by November I I came I back I, I came back to Miami oh, and I brought the first twin fin that Terry Martin shaped for me and it was a big north swell that hit 21st Street and I had the twin fin and I sold 20 boards the first week I was back oh, and yeah. Paul was mildly upset to say the to say the <laughs> was, so, was there a good margin on surfboards back then was or was same. it still yeah it was the same it was still ugly. shitty yeah it was ugly so yeah. incredible so that was. Paul Mann, and now when I see Mike, you know, when I go to Longboard House, I go in to visit him every once in a while. We kind of rehash some of the that's great. the older. Uh, oh, great! Is that? I didn't know that. I had the Longboard yeah, House, yeah. and that's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah, those I mean, guys he, are staples. No, but his his store up there is, is, is I mean, it's it's a magnet for surfing, and it yeah, it is top notch. Mm -hmm. One of the favorite stores I've ever been in. Yeah, surfer. And not. Mike's there almost every day. He shows up, you know, and whenever I'm down in Melbourne, I'll I'll stick my head in or call him. Mm -hmm. It's hard to go past that spot and, and not walk. Yeah, through. exactly. So I mean, the amount of boards, the amount oh, yeah. of equipment, it just, yeah. it's just, it's like a whole other level for the East Coast. Was there such a, I know when I got into surfing in the, I guess, late 80s or so, mid to late 80s, um, I, it was, there's such a big divide between South Beach and Hallover Harbor House. You know, and they used to call um, each other out. Was it uh, like that back then, or was it a little bit well, more camaraderie, or was it that was, everyone just hated people that were coops? There was never, there was never really what I would call camaraderie. Right. There was always heavy localism, either right. down here right. or up there, and I could give you numerous examples of the of the localism that existed. <laughs> oh, I imagine. 
And uh, when I started surfing, as I told you earlier, my friend Jay and I, we, we, we weren't even old enough to drive, so we used to take the bus to come down here and watch the guys that were surfing, which was a small, hardcore clique of uh -huh. maybe 15 guys. And there was a kid by the name of Larry Salem. This is early 60s? This was probably 61 and 62. And uh, Larry Salem was this really skinny, scrawny little kid that was probably the best small wave longboarder that I had ever seen to this day. He was probably on a, on a caliber of somebody like Joel Tudor in, in small waves. Uh -huh. Had tremendous style, tremendous talent, and he was just not a really nice, humble guy in the water. <laughs> and he, he sort of had a VIP section rope around him when he surfed because nobody would, would, would mess with him. He had this sort of hardcore posse that kind of hung out with him, the bigger guys. And so nobody really messed with him. And, and if you happened to venture into his, his area, you kind of knew it either really quickly from one of his guys or, or, or he would just shoot his board at, at you. Yeah, and, the and spear chucking. The spear chucking. We don't really see that these days. That's like, there's much. too much uh, lawsuits but, out there. But, <laughs> but it, it went on at Hallover when we discovered Hallover. I wasn't the first guy that discovered it. There was five guys that were serving Hallover, meaning the jetty, right. before I got there, and they actually pulled me into it. And those guys would literally, if, once it started getting discovered, there was 20 guys, maybe maybe 30 guys in the water. And in those days, there weren't removable fins, and there was a couple guys that would literally, if you happened to be doing something that they didn't like in the water, they would literally break, break your fin right there on the spot in the water, in the shore break, or throw your board into the rocks, which was directly below the wall, because the water came all the way up to the wall. For those that days. don't know what Hallover used to look like back in the day, it was way different than now. There was hardly any beach, if at all. The only time there was maybe a beach was at like low tide for the Correct. most part. It, it Otherwise, the jetty yeah. that is now pretty much all filled in with sand, there was a lot more of a, a longer length to it. So there's yes. a lot more peak, I mean, because now you put 10 people on that peak, it's crowded, it's crazy, right? Because it was yeah. just that right that comes through and that next left that kind of yeah. bubbles up and goes yeah. into the jet, into the, um, into the jetty. Um, but now it's, I mean, back then there was a couple different peaks, plus there was yeah. the pier. Yeah, the pier, the pier helped the break as well, meaning Hollywood Jetty. Mm -hmm. it, it interacted with, with, with uh, the way the How far was, was the pier from there? Um, 200, 200 yards? yards, maybe, yeah, 100 yards. Oh, get out, I didn't realize it was a pier. Yeah. There. And that got torn down in one of the major hurricanes. But as far as the localism that we were discussing, there was heavy localism there, there was heavy localism down here. And you were going to get it wherever you went. Wherever you went. And then, you know, 21st Street was always a, was a, was a great battleground. And, and the story that I'm going to share with you tonight is of the Mike Reefman story. Uh. And uh, Mike Reefman was kind of a, an oddball character, a surfing guy that didn't really fit in with anybody. I, um, uh, I don't know if he does meds or not, but maybe he should he doesn't, doesn't fit in so, with a bunch of misfits and he used to wear these uh like spandex richard simmons kind of suits in the water in like bright colors that was his outfit and he was always very boisterous and loud and you know kind of an angry surfer in the water no matter who was in the water and he wasn't he wasn't a guy that really commanded the, the respect that he was looking for what, so, was his skill net level not there to command no, that because no, that's no. usually the that's case. exactly what the point that's usually so, the point. And so, so what time frame was this that we're talking uh this is probably i'm gonna guess and say this is 68 or 69 uh -huh. And uh, there were some kids that used to surf Sunny Isles that they were known as the Giles brothers. And the smallest of them, Gary, used to kind of get beat up by his two older brothers. So he was a tough little kid. 
and he used to surf 21st Street. So one day we're out in the water and Gary Giles and Mike Reefman get into it. Reefman's probably built like Chris, you know, he's a bigger guy and Reefman of course singles out the smallest guy in the water, which happened to be Gary Giles and uh, starts giving him a lot of lip in the water, trash talk and this and that and blah, blah. And one thing leads to another and Reefman says, let's take it up on the beach and, and off they go. And Gary Giles walks up and finds a piece of essentially what was driftwood and you know essentially like the size of about a two by two board and does a pirouette standing on the beach and swings the, the, the board around his body and smacks Reefman right right in the in his face right in the kiss right in his right on his teeth this was the only punch that was thrown in the, in the whole event and how did the, that not knock him out it did it knocked his tooth well knocked his tooth we hadn't gotten there yet right uh, not, not, knocked out Reefman's two, two front teeth which to this day to this day to my knowledge back. They haven't grown back, nor nor did he bother to go out and get caps. Uh, no way. So I've actually heard that Mike Reefman is uh, a good whistler. No. <laughs> well, he's actually a security guard, or he was at, at an apartment uh, complex, a townhouse complex. I think where Randy Rose is, because I was actually talking to Randy about it not too long ago. That uh, Reefman was was up was up there now. Whether or not he's still employed there, I don't know. What about but Larry Rick, Salem? Where is that guy? Larry like, I Salem. I love that story. I'm just like, what? Well, can we get him here? Larry Salem. Um, I've actually spoken to Roger Morris about that, and Roger remembers him very well. Also, to Larry Salem was was a the total eccentric guy. He was like the Mickey Dora of Miami Beach. He was not a friendly guy. He was a loner, other than his little clique. And uh, he just really had a poor attitude. He didn't like to surf contests. In fact, he never surfed contests. And to answer your question, where he is today, I've heard rumors that he's actually uh, still working at one of the hotels, throwing out beach pads on the, on the pool deck. Doesn't drive a car. And is just basically... Going on a limb, probably no Instagram or Facebook. I doubt it. Okay. I would doubt it. I would doubt but it. If I don't think he's listening to this. If you're listening. Larry, Larry, you're always the greatest longboard small wave rider I ever saw that was down here. I, Period. And apparently a, a really good spear chucker too. You were going to take it. <laughs> I get yeah. it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Come so, back to the lineup. We'd love so to see some of that longboarding. That was, uh, that was the Larry Salem that I had. <laughs> That's wow. incredible. But he's disappeared. But I've heard rumor that he's still here. Rogers seems to think that he's in one of the hotels somewhere. This is why I love Terry. I mean, I've I've been listening to some, a lot of these stories since, uh, I don't know, when I worked at Island Water Sports some like 10, 12, 13 years ago. And I, I've just always been such a big fan of surf shops and surf stories all together. So like, you hear some of these stories and you're just like naturally like, mm-hmm, yeah. I don't know if everybody's like that. Well, maybe I am. But I'm like this, yeah. Yeah, I want to no, hear more. I feel you. Well, but it's so interesting because you get to hear so much of the history of, of just your local area and overall things that you don't get to hear. I think something that you and I have touched on a lot is that for whatever reason, we kind of got this notion that Miami doesn't really have any surf culture. Right. But maybe it's just that it hasn't been handed down so well. Right. I mean, that right. could be part of it. Uh, I mean, we do have a reputation for being like super transient. It's like, right. I'm not from here. Right. I don't know if I'll die here. You right. know, well, so like right. that, that know, means something. The, the irony of the surf culture is that the Whitmans created it, but they, but they were never boisterous about it. They, they were in their own element doing their own surfing uh -huh. and they didn't really 
participate in, in the buy-in. Would you say it on a level of humility, or would you say it's that they just didn't want anybody else no, doing no, it? No, they, so they're like, they, uh, you know, uh, Bill and Dudley were, were they were true innovators. You know, they, they created the first underwater camera. They actually took it out in the water at Waikiki. Do you remember seeing the film that, that uh, we had at one of the surf archives? That Dudley came so. with and Michael Lassen. Right. I, I took a tour of their, their museum that they have here well, there in you Miami. Go. But, but they created this underwater camera, put it on a, on a barge out in the uh, number threes or canoes on Waikiki, and they shot like the first water shots of, of all the Hawaiians surfing in the 40s. I mean, who, who thinks of that stuff in the 40s? And in the 50s, Dudley, you know, from his flying days, and he, and he had, a, had his own plane, was flying over to Eleuthera anytime that the winds and, and wave scenario was correct. <laughs> imagine what wave oh casting was like gosh. back then, now, to go ahead and be a, but, but not only that, go, go to the Bahamas. No, nobody was flying. Go to the Bahamas is a good idea pretty much always. all the time. <laughs> so that's an easy one. <laughs> nobody was flying anywhere in those yeah, days to islands to go on a surf trip. Dudley had it wired. He had boards over there. So I'm sure it was pretty raw back then. It was pretty rare. Well, was I'm, like, gonna, I'm gonna tell you how raw it was. Right here. The, the first time you took me over there, I was probably probably 18. Mm -hmm. And it was myself, D David Exley, and John Rank, and Dudley flying the plane. And Dudley, you know, obviously from his war days, was a rather exuberant pilot. And when we got over there, he decided he wanted to go down and take a look at the surf break. So here we are at probably- Like 10 feet over the water. So here we are at probably, you know, eight or 9,000 feet as we're coming in, and he decides to do a full bank with the plane and do this big dive down on the on, on, uh, surfer's beach. And he goes into this full dive, and I'm sitting in the oh. back of the plane. And oh. I'd never really experienced a small plane before. So I'm sitting in the back, and I've sort of got my hand over my mouth. Sure, because really, your stomach's at. Because like, I, I don't want to throw up in his plane, because I know it's the last time I'm going to be getting in the plane <laughs> if I do. So he comes down, and he does, his, he does this little sort of scoot along the water, and then climbs right back up. And, and he, and he knew exactly uh, what he was doing he to was. all of us, right? <laughs> He's rousting you guys. Right. So the airport, the airport back then, there there was no airport. It was a runway with a tower, but there was nobody in the tower. <clears throat> and the and the person that came out to greet you when you got off your plane, you know, and, and there was you know there was there was no real right. airplanes. Right. We had a small plane, and that was it. The guy that came out was a little little Bahamian kid with a shoe shine box and wanted to know if you wanted a shoe shine. That, that's who greeted you. That's who your traffic controller is. <laughs> exactly. Am I clear to Sure, to bring shoes? So, yeah. And it was immigration. So uh, he had a house back and then. And he used to, and, and <laughs> Have I seen you at the, aren't you the same guy from the... And, and so like Dudley used to keep boards at the beach. They had a like a stand-up thing there. Nobody bothered the boards. Yeah, who's going to steal them? What is right. this? What am I doing? And, do and uh, so the, the first day we go there, and actually that day we did bring a couple boards from the house. So as I'm taking the boards off the car, Dudley says, well, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm getting the boards. And he goes, no. And he reaches into the station wagon and he grabs his big old machete and he says, here. And he says, you need to go cut some grass to get us through to the beach because the, the, the sawgrass was so high, there was no path to get to the beach. Grom's so, paying dues. There you go. It's like, so so it's not, like I know you think you're doing something here, but I'll take care of the boards. You need to take care of hacking through there the jungle. There you go. So here. I was the gopher. <laughs> take all mosquito bites. I was the gopher. And, uh, you know, I was pretty exhausted by the time I got us through the beach. But, 
But yet it was all, it was a great experience. That was smart. He was like one less person on the lineup. <laughs> <laughs> but but he's, he's, like, he's like, of course I bring guys with me. Yeah. How else am I going to so, get to the beach? And ironically, in, in those days, you know, the, there was really nothing there. And Paradise, uh, excuse me, Surfer's Beach, is a, it's a, it's a left-hand point right. reef. And down from the beach, there, like 200 yards, it would be like us looking at from like Hollower Jetty down to Hollower Pier to give you the, the depth. And there was all these sh sharks that were like just spinning, Yay. spinning Yay. around in the water. So I'm in the water and I said to Dudley, I said, Doug, what's that all about? And he goes, oh, well, there's a chicken factory down there and they oh, pipe out all the mulch right there and all the sharks just hang out there and feed. So that was always a little intimidating. But, but, then, but then I thought about it. Well, if they're down there and they're really eating well, why would they bother That's to come scary. up here? Yeah. Well, there is a little truth to that. So, well, have you ever looked down the beach and saw another peak and you're like, you know, it does look kind of good down there. Maybe well, we should go check well, it. Well, I don't know if the chicken factory is still there. But, but that was just another witness story. But they were... Those two guys were so far ahead of their time wow. in, in so many different ways that uh, they were just incredible innovators. Yeah, I, I got to meet them later, way later in their life, and got to understand yeah, that and, and, and go through their museum. It was so impressive. I've never I got mean, a chance to do that. It's yeah, so it cool. They've really got just so many great things, and you feel like you're just walking back in time. And it's just so enjoyable to be able to still capture, know it, and then hopefully be able to pass it on to others. Of, of, where our cultures come from, locally. And I met them at Expo. Remember I told you it had been like 15 years since I was at Surf Expo? At Surf Expo, there was like this, the film I think you're talking about was playing on like this little TV yeah. and I was like, this is weird. How is this possible that someone has this footage? And it's like, how do you, well, what, what? And he was there, the, I think maybe with his daughter. The, the story behind that film is that they filmed it back in the 40s and they canned it. They never did anything with it. Somewhere, when uh, Robert Kahn, who's still involved right. with the family, uh, they they reproduced it. They they pulled it out of the cans, and the film was still good. That was the most amazing wow. thing. It was eight millimeter, millimeter film, and it was all still good. And they 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 got it, I guess, digitally reproduced uh -huh. or however that kind of stuff is done. And they they put it all on one big thing and edited, it. and and it's really a picturesque view of what Hawaii was really like in the '40s. It's not a, it's not really a surfing movie per no, se, of course. But it's, it's a cultural, it's, it's a right, movie. right. But about Hawaii, the way right. Hawaii was. But the thing that always struck me is what I said earlier about the, the water camera and these guys who had a water camera out out, out on a barge. You didn't think to do that. Who would do it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so, so bizarre. And uh, you know, my attitude towards Dudley was, you know, I would have been a bag boy if he didn't give me the job. I'd still be, I'll be in Publix today. <laughs> Because I got through college because of that. That's a so, super cool story. So ah, that's unreal. So that was my my beginning of surfing. I'm so I mean, glad that you still stop by the shop and still you know. Oh, it's always toss a pleasure. Stories. It's all a pleasure to come so in good. and see you guys. So it's, 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 it's pretty incredible to know that really that surfing on the East Coast started more or less here. I don't know if there's any. I mean, I think Tom Blake surfed in Atlantic City um, pretty early on. Um, well, there's a picture, it's probably in the museum, of 
when Bill and Dudley were youngsters like you, right. like you, Brad, <laughs> where they were surfing a, a like a contest up in Daytona Beach, probably. Is that the one where they stand in all the different yes. types of boards? Yes. Yes. Well, yeah. actually, there was that. We were all, well, you and I, were in an Ocean Drive magazine or spread. Oh, that's probably about I saw that. Six okay. years yeah, ago, maybe? That, yeah. Six or seven years ago, where uh, Dudley was a part of it. Um, I think that was actually a couple months before he passed. Yeah, it was like was maybe the last about time two or three him. months. That was the last wow. time. Um, and I know in those articles, there was that one picture that was a, a yeah. pull out of that. Whatever, yeah, whatever year that was. I, I still have that magazine yeah. somewhere. It's online. Oh, oh you see oh, it? it is online. Yeah, yeah oh, you're right. right. It is. That's right. I'll link to it in the blog. It's on the line. Yeah. So cool that's how surfing was back in the day. So tell me, um, I was kind of interested to know about how crowds change through the years. Everyone complains about how crowded it is now, but I've, I've seen pictures in the mid 60s, um, right out here, like what I guess would be First Street, and it's more crowded then than it is now. There was, um, you know, when I started surfing, it was right before the, the real rush of Beach Boy yeah, music and, Gidget and, and, all and all that nonsense, Beach right? Because everybody wanted to be a surfer or look like a surfer. You know, everybody was going and buying hydrogen peroxide. And hey, ball, look, I'm selling green. dreams too. Look, you know, some here, be a surfer. Is cool. And, um, surfing is cool, apparently. But all of a sudden in the mid 60s, yeah, there, were, there, was, there was a lot of people out there and most of them didn't know what they were doing and there was no leashes and the boards all weighed 25 pounds or more. Oh. So that, those are factors that I hadn't considered as much. So heaviness. So until the leashes came along in the shortboard revolution in the late 60s, you know, it was it was a little wild out there. But more so here than than at home. Sure. Really? More so here. Interesting. It's pretty gritty down here, wouldn't you say? It was very gritty. That was actually the other thing I was going to say. Like, so through the generations, uh, or the decades, I should say, right. 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, 2000s, or the second decade already. Right. Like, the changes that have happened in, just say, south of Fifth or Miami Beach, I mean, it's. I mean, it used well, to be pretty. It used to be pretty gnarly down here, south of Fifth. I, I can remember. Well, before that was all the the Rat Pack era, so it was like the goods and the glam, and then all of a sudden, right. well, what happened is a lot, a lot of the elderly Jewish people that all sat out in front of the hotels uh -huh. back in the in the late '60s and early '70s, as they passed away or decided to move out of the, this environment, uh -huh. there was like this flat period. Interest rates went to 18 percent, so forth and so on. So there wasn't a lot of buying. All this property down here was very depressed. And only the, the guys that were smart and had real money and staying power and guts were buying the properties. Uh -huh. and, then, and of course, the, the beginning was uh, Nikki, Nikki Beach down here, and then Penrods. Penrods, that's it. Right. Penrods. And you know, in the late 70s, early 80s is when it started to move back. But there was a time period where you could literally walk down Lincoln Road. Not all, but a number of the storefronts were completely closed. There was no foot traffic. Well, I remember whatsoever. that even in the early 90s, late 80s as a kid, right. it being very much like that. It was either homeless people, derelicts, or just very like small, right. like touristy kind of shops. Interesting. Yeah. Right. A lot of ebbs and flows. Yeah. But today, you know, like today, and, and this is back, this is sort of unrelated, but uh, a close friend of mine that was a world-class photographer, he opened a gallery on Lincoln Road, and he calls me, he was a client of mine in tennis. And he calls me one day and he says, I finally got a storefront on Lincoln Road. And he's telling me the details. And literally, this is in the 80s, it was $40,000 up front, non-refundable, to get the store and eight grand a month 
friends. Back then? Back then. What? Back then. How? Now, needless oh, to say, he didn't, he, didn't, insane at the point. he didn't stay there. I mean, he checked out. I don't know. I think he ran his contract out, and that was the end of it. Jeez. But, uh, I mean, he had a lot of money because he had big accounts. How? After that. <laughs> so how did surfing change during all these, um, during all these times? I mean, after the, the 60s boom, I imagine it kind of subsided at, you know, like... Well, I think it settled down. Years. It settled down in, in a respect. I mean... It was almost like surfing was almost when it started was like the Beatles coming to America. That's exactly what I picture. It's like a frenzy where there exactly. would be like yeah, every, that's maybe where the competition with the shops every, came in. I mean, well, as I said, our shop, my competitor, closest one was Paul Mann, and we just, you know, we couldn't put on boxing gloves. I was just gonna say, take it out. I mean, he was always trash talking Hobie surfboards and me, you know. I mean, no way. And I, I thought about doing that with Scott from Island. I thought, like, <laughs> I, tell, I, I tell Scott all the time, I'm like, we can't be friends all the time, bro. Let's start a fight. Well, Let's but start you guys something. Are, you guys have a lot North more distance. South, you, have you, know? more, you have a lot more distance. He won't do it. He doesn't have the stomach for it. I'm yeah. coming after you. Got this biggie Tupac thing happening. No, <laughs> Tupac. So, uh, you are getting kind of biggie. <laughs> Did I yeah, just say that out loud? I think surfing settled <laughs> oh, down. I think surfing settled down after the boom uh -huh. years, and of course, you know, as we were talking earlier about the drug culture that that came along and the hippie peace movement and yeah. all that, and that if that sort of merged with surfing, a lot of guys never made it out of that alive, that were really good surfers, and then in the '70s and '80s, it sort of, you know, it changed into real surfing, I guess. Right. The guys that really with the evolution of the boards with, changing. With the evolution of the boards. Oh. Um, I don't think he had the same cast of characters that we probably had way back right. in the in the early days. I mean, there was some... Would you say there was still kind of influential surfing still happening at that point uh, in regards to people like your Larry Salem's and stuff that yeah, kind of Yeah, there was out? guys... Well, I mean, the guy that, that I remember the most was a guy, um, his name was Roger Kincaid, and he was surfing in my generation, but he was a very, very talented guy. Huh. And he wound up... Uh, he wound up hanging out with Gary Proper, and he lives over in Maui. And huh. I don't know if he still serves to this day, but I mean, there was a lot of talent that, that came out of Miami in those days. So really good talent, and there is today. I mean, it's it's just different. There was only a few characters mm -hmm. back then. Where today, you know, I think surfing is just more. There's more cohesiveness mm -hmm. to the crowd. In other words, I see the guys that come in here and, and there's a lot of bonding. Right. A lot of bonding, you know, with the local guys. Uh -huh. You know, the tourists that come in and out, it's, you sure. know, it's, you know, nobody knows, but it's, right, it is. I mean, I feel like a lot of that is that, like. So the, so I, I think it's changed. There's not the, the, the spearing of guys, you know, right. trying to take a guy's legs out every the day. Lawsuits are clear that up. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yes. Something's changed. Craig, stop using my lines, because that's I, my favorite line. You may, kick, you may kick my ass, but you're not going to kick my attorney's ass. <laughs> so, <laughs> who we all know. So. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's changed, um, and I think in some ways for the better. Um, I, I kind of like the old days, the way the pier was here, sure. and, the, and it, it you know had a lot of um, grit to it. Mm -hmm. well, I think there still has to be a pecking order. Like there is that kind oh, of combination, you know, being a surf shop owner, knowing so many people, you kind of you know you keep it kind of mellow and PC. I'm, I'm typically like that as well, but you know you know that. I'm not going to be a hothead. I'm not going to go, you know, you at can. this point. No, you can't. Um, but 
I could still respect and understand having that pecking order. Some, you know, having the, the loud mouth out there, the barker out there, you know, this and that, yeah. because those that are just kind of coming into it may have not grown up with it or understood it, but I think it's still such an important part yeah. of the culture of what we do. But I think also for those that aren't the barkers and the regulators, there's that, you know, responsibility of education, kind of helping people and less people say- said it last week, so what? good with the trial and error, just like, Ooh, I'm not supposed to do that. Well, I didn't know yeah, I was supposed yeah, to do that. Yeah. I just almost got beat up because of it. I guess I shouldn't well, do that again. At Hallover in the 80s, there was quite a crew. We had the Crude Brothers. The Crude Brothers. And That's we had right. Mike Kaplan, who was uh, yes. the enforcer. He was. And, and literally told people you, if, if he didn't like your surfing style or you were sort of in an area that was not a designated area for you, you were told to go down the beach. Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense. That, that, to and, me, that, that's got helpful and, and back in those days when <laughs> Cappy was Cappy, you know, you went down the beach. Sure. So. Kaplan will still put you in a pretzel. So, Jeez. Um, so you had guys like that and uh, there was a few other tough guys that, that hung out at Hallover through the years. I managed to just kind of Stay below the radar, mind my own business. I, I was a wall, and still am a well, I'm not as much a wallflower, but I, it was the same thing where I'm just like, don't want to bother anyone. You're a wallflower in full bloom. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it, you know, it's all good. I mean, you look back on it, and, and you know, I, I kind of miss the camaraderie that was, that was out there, which I'm sure today's kids have it here. You know, you guys must mm -hmm. have it. We it's do. just a different generation. You're right. You know? uh, and, I, and I get excited when I get to kind of hang out. And it, it might be only like thigh to waist high and yeah. small chop. But like you see a bunch of your friends and you're all having a good time. And you're exactly. like, you know, you're that's all. That's why you started doing it. Right. It's supposed to be fun. Right. right. That's what it's supposed <laughs> right. to be. It's yeah. supposed to be fun. So, you know, so being able to kind of share and high five and just, you know. Yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, evolution. I think the board thing has changed, you know, changed the game a, a lot. A little bit. Yeah. So. Thank you, Kelly Slater. Yeah. And Kelly so Slater. many other shapers out there. That whole momentum crew. Yeah. No, you really changed things up. So, yeah, surfing, you know, I'm just happy to still be alive and play in the water once in a while. So, Terry, it's been a pleasure talking to you about Thank this you. stuff. Thank I mean, you. Thank these you stories are priceless. Me. And Thank you for having me. I feel like we could really just go on here probably until uh, tomorrow. I bore you. So. No, I'm, I'm not here. bored. I not even it. close. This is the kind of stuff. Well, I'll tell you that. So I'll, tell, I'll tell them the Bill Seplow story afterwards. Yeah, there we go. Oh, <laughs> maybe I'll put <laughs> after some hours. After yeah, hours. I'll put some notes on that one on the blog later. Maybe. Okay. No, it's depending. It's, it's, it's a good story, but it's it's not really related to Miami surfing. It Got was just it. a surfing experience that uh, that we took took a field trip uh, to El Salvador right after the war. Wow. And you can imagine if most people are scared of El Salvador nowadays, I could only imagine what they were scared of back. That might actually come out on the blog somehow, in another form. Yeah. I mean, this guy's a wealth of information. It's been awesome talking and to him. Thank legend. You. Thank you. Thank um, you, guys. Are we, I think we're done. I think we're done. Okay. I think we're done. Um, I'm Brad from Thank You Surfing. Good night, everybody. We got Terry here. I'm Christian. Christian from First Surf Shop, Division Winwood. Things are happening. Episode 7 in the books. Thanks so much for joining. Um, so much fun. Yeah, let's Terry. do it again. Thank you guys. Next so week. Do we, oh wait, hold on. We have someone else coming up next week? Uh, I don't think do we, we know. No? Okay. We'll, we'll see. Oh, yeah. subscribe so, to this uh, stuff maybe. Um, before I forget, you guys could try to get Mark Perry down here. He's, he's up in uh, Fort Pierce. Yeah. But he was one of the original sort of crew that was, that yeah. was uh, in the late 60s that was pretty dominant out here. Okay. And he, and he, he actually... got to go up, do a road he, show. Uh, oh, well, you know who knows him is Roger Morris. 
Okay. He gets, he sees him, and uh, he worked for the Coast Guard. You know, he was out on, I guess, drug patrols every right. day. Right. So he's probably got some great stories. And I'm sure he does. <laughs> and, and he's a fine surfer. All Interesting. Right. We'll we got a it. referral. All right. Terry, thanks so much. Thank man. you. Thanks for coming. Thank you, guys. Brad, well, 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 big handshake. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank thanks, you. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.